Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, guys. This is Aswin Subsang, but please call me Swin, and welcome to The Daily Beast's Fever Dreams. Hi, I'm Will Summer, a politics reporter at The Daily Beast, where I dig into all the darkest recesses of American extremism and extremely online militants. I'm currently working on a book about QAnon and its disastrous impact on our society. I'm also a senior political reporter at The Beast and co-author of the book Sinking in the Swamp. I've spent years covering the intersection of entertainment and politics, and in the post-Trump era, that seems like the only sensible way to cover politics in this beautiful, hideously stupid country of ours. On this podcast, we're going to take you on deeply reported plunges into the sometimes hilarious, sometimes scary fanatics infecting the way that millions of Americans view the world and how they vote. Even in the aftermath of the Trump administration, the energy of these conspiracy theorists, the grifters, and the influencers is still pushing our mainstream political landscape closer and closer to a breaking point. We're here to help you better understand how and why this is happening. And who in the halls of power are letting it happen? Along the way, we'll regularly bring on guests, including political pros, hard-nosed reporters, and some influential voices from Hollywood. Okay, Will, for the past few days, you have been out in the COVID and QAnon wilderness. Can you please tell us a little bit about your misadventures in the real world, or at least something parallel to it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So this is the first report from the Daily Beast's uh, Fever Dreams roving correspondent. I've been out. I spent the weekend in Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, working on my book uh, coming out later this year for HarperCollins. Uh, and the reason I was there was because it was the Health and Freedom Conference, a sort of a confluence of COVID denialism, QAnon, evangelical Christianity, all this kind of stuff, uh, gathering outside of Tulsa, 4,500 people. Uh, they were ready to throw down and talk about how much they love both Trump and QAnon, no masks allowed. Wait, wait, no masks allowed. Was it actually no masks allowed or just no mask required? Well, I mean, I didn't see a single mask. There was a lot of like, you know, if someone tells you to wear a mask, you say, take off your mask. I too had to go uh, sans mask to fit in with with my subjects. Because you didn't want to be like spotted as like a federal agent or something like that? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I'd signed up under my own name, but it was, you know, all it would take is one person to be like, hey, that's that guy's, you know, I, I was just obviously recently in this documentary and, you know, it, they, you know, they record videos claiming I've been arrested and sent to Guantanamo Bay and all this kind of stuff. So there is no proof yet that Will has right. not been arrested and sent to Guantanamo Bay. I have not seen him recently. <laughs> exactly. So uh, I think what was notable to me about this trip, I mean, there's a lot of things and, and a lot more to come in the book, but the this was not, I would say, I mean, it was in some ways a lot of kooks, but on the other hand, it was a lot of like be- people who were big deals in Trumpism. I mean, it was Lynn Wood and uh, Michael Flynn and Sidney Powell, uh, Jim Caviezel, who you may remember from The Passion of the Christ. Jesus himself. Uh, and so, I mean, these were not like, I mean, these were people who are fringe in a way, but who still have a lot of sway in the Republican Party. Um, and they were really getting into it. Okay, so you took in a great old hunk of Jim Caviezel. What was his speech like to the crowd? Yeah, I mean, this is a this was kind of a running thing, first of all, in the conference, was that, like, people who were really big, uh, really promoted as the headliners just did not show up. And then so suddenly, like, the, the whole thing, the organizer was like, we're going to get Jim Caviezel. And then 10 minutes ahead of time, he's like, ah, uh, turns out Jim Caviezel zooming in from L.A. And it's like, well, I think we got to figure this out ahead of time. I mean, similarly, Sidney Powell was like, you know, these people are, like, ready to go to see Sidney Powell there. The crowd is vibrating and then she just sends in a video that's like hey what's up it's me Sydney have fun Um, so in Jim Caviezel's case he does a zoom and his new thing is he's starring in this movie where he portrays this character named Tim Ballard who's this military veteran who he's like a real life guy who runs this what I would describe as a QAnon adjacent group that claims to rescue children from child sex traffickers Um, Vice has done some great reporting on what appear to be some exaggerations or inconsistencies 
inconsistencies in their backstory. Uh, but anyways, Jim Caviezel's hooked up with this guy. And so what's important to note about a lot of, you know, the the this child sex trafficking activism, particularly um, amongst far-right people, is that under the surface here is QAnon often. And what they what they aren't saying a lot of the time is that they believe these children are being abducted to have their blood drained and consumed by the world elites, right? And so this might seem crazy, but, and I mean, it is crazy, but it might seem crazy that I'm saying it. But then sort of towards the end, Jim Caviezel's talking about how he got this job, and he's just like, well, you know, I've always been interested in the adrenochroming of children, but then, you know, this guy looked at my, <laughs> this guy looked at my IMDB page, and he just kind of drops this and keeps going, and it's about this, like, it's like a, like a Jim Caviezel episode of Entourage, like how he's making the movie. And then... Then the, the host of the event goes like, hold up, like, can, can we explain to the audience what adrenochrome is? And Jim Caviezel's like, oh, yeah, sure. So the thing is, like, the world elites, they torture children, and this creates this uh, this process called, this substance called adrenochrome, and then they drink it to stay young. And everyone's like, oh, okay. Like, you know, in, in the amount of, like, standing ovations that, I mean, this crowd was so, like, on edge for QAnon content, but I think after January 6th, people feel a little awkward about coming out and saying they're into QAnon. And so this was kind of, like, under the surface a lot of the event, and then someone like Jim Caviezel or Lynn Wood would just be like, QAnon rules, and the crowd would like explode. <laughs> it's like when you're you're at a rock concert of your favorite band and suddenly they play that deep cut you never thought they were actually going to perform, and it's like, oh my God, I'm here for it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's really, it's what they wanted, and, and you know, I mean, speaking of Lynn Wood, I mean, this, of course, is the famous pro-Trump lawyer who gets in all these kind of uh, debacles uh, and is one of these people who's promising to sort of bring Trump back into office or to overturn the election, or that the election was stolen. Um, and he closed out both nights and, I mean, really just brought the house down uh, by, you know, the first night he just starts making a cue in the air and going, cue, cue, cue. Uh, and then he, he had this line where he's like, they're killing our children because they're worshiping Satan. That's a good Linwood impression. You should do more of that on the show. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, you know, I'm renowned for my voice work. And so, so th- th- he does that. And then Saturday night he comes out and Wait, I he was had two speaking way- engagements. Oh yeah. They loved him. Yeah. I mean, it, and both basically the keynote each night. And so he comes out and this was shortly before there was supposed to be a mask burning, which was honestly partially why, like in large part, why I'd come to Tulsa. Uh, which <laughs> was, and so they, I'm sorry, that's not funny. I should laugh. So he comes out, but it's also like these people, do they even have masks? I mean, it's a whole debate. Right. And so then he comes out and he goes, okay, last night, you know, we talked about the election, whatever tonight, we're going to talk about the children and the crowd is just like, Oh, oh boy. And he just starts going, I mean, the night before he was talking about QAnon, but this time he's going crazy. And he's like, yeah, I'm talking about Q. You know, you tell Bill Clinton that pedophile and you tell, uh, you know, George Soros and all this. And someone goes, uh, tell the Pope. And the crowd goes crazy. Wait, who says that? Like someone else on the stage? No, like a heckler, basically, or a a pro Linwood heckler. Someone yells like, you know, you tell the Pope we're coming for him. And then he, he starts building off of that. And then he starts going, you know, he's like these people are torturing children and the, you know, the punishment for treason is a firing squad. And this, I mean, 45, you know, 5,000 people just explode, like standing ovation, all this stuff. So, I mean, it was really something to see. Okay. Well, what was it like to feel that? Were you in the crowd or was there like a press area? Where were you? Oh, no, there was not a press oh, area. Oh, right. Right. Of course. <laughs> yeah. No, no. I, yeah. I, I, I was in the, I was in the crowd. Okay. What was described to me what was it like for you to observe this as a reporter when the crowd of thousands of people erupts in just this openly bloodlusty carnival of, yes, we're going to put people we don't like in our political enemies before the firing squad because they're like eating the livers of children or whatever bullshit? <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's 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 pretty crazy. I mean, you know, I I think after January sixth, there's been this sense, I think, from some observers that oh, QAnon's over. You know, no one believes in QAnon anymore, and especially with Biden in office. But really, I think you know, like, look, the chairman of the Oklahoma Republican Party was at this thing. I mean, this is there is this sense from these people that they're that QAnon is very Wait, real. Seriously, and, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and and hell. most importantly, that the that what they learn from QAnon is real. And and that's that's adrenochrome. That's you know the torturing of children and all this kind of stuff. You know, just really randomly, the a few people I talked to, I, I was in line and these two women were talking and they were they were just met each other and they just start going like, oh yeah, 
you know, I hear, you know, hearkening back to an early Fever Dreams episode. They said, oh, I heard that that boat in the Suez Canal was filled with kids that Hillary Clinton was going to eat, you know. And so they were, you know, I mean, it, it's really wild to see this stuff in the flesh, but it's, it's very much uh, still going on. Talking to some people there, did you get the sense these are active grassroots conservative voters or are they more of the disaffected ilk who may be antagonistic towards actually voting? Oh yeah, I think these people are very plugged into their local Republican activism. I mean, there look, there were there was a, a GOP Senate candidate there who's going to pr- try to primary uh, James Lankford in the Senate. I mean, th- this was a very like politically plugged in group that that felt very um, like okay, now we're going to go back to our local Republican parties and try to put this into action. Right. The sense I get from these events is that yes, okay, there are a lot of people who go on look at it and be like, oh, you can find four or five thousand crazy people anywhere, get them in a room, and ha 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 laugh at the like the far right lunatics or whatever. But what I see and you tell me if you think this assessment is flawed or not is that it really does offer a perfect little glimpse into how the Q phenomenon and all the associated freakouts and online lunacy that came with it is actually pretty easily honed into conservative grassroots organizing action or even voter enthusiasm. Like, will these people tip every presidential or U.S. Senate or House race? No, of course not. But we do know that there actually is voter enthusiasm in here. It is part of the Trump and conservative base. And they do have a great deal of eagerness to vote in local and national and state elections. Yeah, I mean, I, I think what's interesting here is that this conference for me, because this was not called like QCon. It was basically structured around opposition to the vaccine and masks and coronavirus stuff. But what was interesting to me was how Q has sort of, and it's sort of related to beliefs, has sort of become melded onto the GOP platform and particularly for really conservative activists. So like you had, you know, what you might expect people to talk about, which is like the Second Amendment, um, a little bit of anti-abortion stuff, although not as much as you might think, um, you know, I, I, like a real obsession with voter fraud. Uh, and then also everyone there was up on adrenochrome. And so I think the way this plays out, unfortunately, and it will, you know, maybe get to this a little later in the episode, is that you end up with these politicians who are either going to be really red-pilled uh, in the way that Marjorie Taylor Greene or Lauren Boebert are, or you're going to have politicians who are like, oh, geez, I really don't want to, you know, lose voters by saying that adrenochrome isn't real. So maybe I'll just, uh, you know, kind of sidestep that issue. And, and you know, it's, it's sort of a, a more more drastic version of kind of the, the this sort of like faction of, of lunacy that we've seen uh, growing in the GOP for years. And, and the thing you mentioned at the end, the second category of prominent Republican official or elected official, where you play footsie with it, or even if you don't, you are concerned about openly denouncing it and therefore being a party to letting it fester and grow. We saw how, we've seen how that's played out before. There, there is already a proof of concept for that. That happened with birtherism during the eight years of the Obama era. And then lo and behold, the next president was a birther Republican. Like, it, It could not be more spelled out in terms of how these things actually happen, whereas I hear so much of the mainstream right and party apparatchiks constantly wanting to say, oh, you're just a a lefty or a liberal who wants to hold up the most extreme version of the right or extreme right to, like, tar us with it. It's like, well, that wouldn't be a problem if we haven't seen how this played out before. Yeah, right. I mean, it, it, that's exactly right. I mean, it, it, again, I mean, these are when you talk about Michael Flynn uh, or Lynn Wood or Sidney Powell, I mean, you're talking about people who are very prominent within the Republican grassroots. Like I said, I mean, the chairman of the Oklahoma Republican Party was there. A lot of local officials were there. It's it's not good, I would say. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think it's something that's only going to, uh, un- unfortunately, uh, you know, continue to get worse. Well, before we get into this, have, did you have you been on Frank yet? You are the guy who always goes I, on these. I programs. haven't. I was having trouble logging on. Honestly, is it is it because I when I tried to get in, it was just this the Lindell twenty four hour lot. Oh, okay. I guess it's open now. God, this looks like garbage. Oh, <laughs> uh, this looks so bad. Uh, wait, is this like? Can you even log into this yet, or is it? It almost just looks like a blog or something. This is unacceptable for for like as much money as this guy has. I you know, come on. Okay, so the thing that Will was just taking a look at was, what is the name of it? What is the name of this social media? It's just called Frank. Okay, 
Frank. It is the new social media website that has been set up and launched to much online fanfare, shall we say, by my pillow founder and CEO, Mike Lindell, who is obviously a personal friend of Donald Trump's, big, big, big um, MAGA and Trump guy. And his friend of the pod, friend of the pod, Mike, you are welcome on the show anytime. And one of the things that he has been doing in Trump's post presidency, among things like promising his followers that he has proof that will get Donald Trump back in the White House before the summer this year even closes out. And by continuing to push on on his quote unquote anti-voter fraud crusade, which he continues going with, even though so many other Trump world luminaries have tried to put that in the rear view mirror or if not rear view mirror, at least have not made it its their main entree right now, including because they don't want necessarily want to get sued. But one of the planks of his broader mission right now is to create a social media network that, unlike Twitter, unlike Facebook and YouTube, won't be so antagonistic to anti-COVID vaxxers, that won't be so antagonistic towards uh, the people who want to say the uh, Donald Trump actually won the election. Uh, the election, you see, and stuff like that that has been getting other people, including himself, booted left and right from social media giants such as Twitter.com. So he founded Frank. He launched it yesterday or earlier this week. Yeah, it, I believe. It, it, it launched on Monday. So, so yeah. Gotcha. So you're perusing it right now. Paint a portrait for the listener what it even looks like, because I got to be honest, I have not logged on yet. Yes. So, so first of all, let me say, I mean, Mike Lindell was also in Tulsa and he was, you know, obviously treated like a god. Um, there was one point where these people were live streaming. I think they were called like the resistance ladies, but weirdly are like right wing. And he was like, I'd like to offer you a, an early invite to frank.tv or Frank Speech. And then, but they're live streaming it, and he's just saying, "Okay, here's the login code and stuff." And then he's like, "Wait, no, like, get this camera away from me." <laughs> um, so, anyways, so the so FrankSpeech.com is the yes, as you said, the much heralded Mike Lindell social network. Um, but curiously, so it, it was supposed to launch on Monday, and then I think to a lot of people's surprise, including some Lindell supporters who I think have have been a little disappointed here, it currently it's, it's like a WordPress site. I mean, it looks really, really bad. Yesterday, all it was was like a one video page it was like a like a video embed that was the 24-hour live stream from mike lindell who was kind of like had this kind of bunker feel where he had like some associates and people were calling in and but, but it was like really easy to prank him and so someone called in he was like i hear we have president trump on the line i think we got breaking news here with a guest hello hello yes i have mr trump on standby are you ready yes go ahead sir Hello, everyone. Oh, we have the president here, our real president, everyone. Hello, Mr. President. MacronShow.com, bitches. Okay. All right. right. I guess that wasn't. I guess that was. You see what they're doing? They're attacking us. And so, I mean, this this site just does not look does not look good. And and you know, I don't know if this costs like the entirety of one pillow to make or something. That, but but this is really this is really not it. I, it, I think Parler and Gab uh, can rest easy. Okay, so it's a kind of looks like a WordPress site right now. What what does it say? Like when you log on, like what's right, the first so thing you see? So it just says. So it says there's an image that says Frank, the voice of free speech. And then there's this again. He's at it again. As I say this now, he's still live streaming. Then it's just like these these blogs that. I, I think are kind of ripped from other websites. Um, I cannot stress enough. If, if a college paper had this website, it would be like, "Ooh, you guys need to get a new website." I mean, this is not a, a good-looking website. Um, but no, it's, I mean, it's just blog posts. I think there's some diamond and silk embeds, Excellent. Um, some Dinesh D'Souza. This is not really a social media site in any uh, recognizable form. So I believe he said a while ago. Or maybe, I don't know, a couple of weeks, whatever, before he officially launched Frank, that it would be a free speech haven. All these haters on in Silicon Valley, big tech who want to censor your views. This is going to be the antithesis of that. And then shortly after that, he said that since we care about God and I'm a very godly uh, Christian man, if you say anything bad about the Lord or or I think take the Lord name, Lord's yeah, name in vain yeah, or something yeah, like you that, you'll get say, yeah. you, like that, that, that kind of speech speech will be banned. I mean, that is some very heavy-handed writing right there. <laughs> well, right, it is. I mean, but honestly, Mike appears to have gotten around this problem by not having a social media network at all, in fact, and so just, just having a website. Fun fact for the listener, you and I reported back in mid-March that when he was trying to get this thing together, he tried to launch it 
not titled Frank. That is not the first name he wanted for this social media network of his. It was Vocal without the A, V-O-C-L. That prompted an already existing entity called Vocal, V-O-C-A-L, to send him a legal threat <laughs> saying that we we have copyrighted Vocal. We do not want our brand associated with yours in any way. Even if there isn't an A attached to yours, please don't do this or there. You could incur further legal action or, or whatever. At that time, he had said he had almost like a like a like a SEAL Team Six of social media network builders working on this. He he said he had this kind of team of geniuses cloistered somewhere, and he couldn't reveal their identities because you know the heat was too hot if you were involved in FrankSpeech.com, uh, and that they had like kind of cooked up this genius site. I don't know if those guys quit. Or- or if their covers were blown or whatever. But I mean, this this does not look so good. Right. And Will, can you go from that to explain what he is live streaming and then we can pivot into how he got pissed off at us? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, Mike Lindell is, he's launching this site with a, I, I don't know if it's a 24-hour live stream, but it, but a pretty much continuous live stream where he's sort of sitting at this anchor desk and ranting and he has guests on. Um, as we're taping this, it looks like he has Michael Flynn on. Uh, and, awesome. But people, people can call in and he's, he's sort of like taking all callers And as a result, he's getting pranked just relentlessly. Right. And also... Like, who are the two? Do you know who the two other guys are who are sitting there with him? I really don't. I, I you know, I, I'm kind of a student of these characters. And, you know, even even by those standards, I mean, these are like these are some some F listers, I think. OK, so not to shamelessly plug the Daily Beast once again, but at one point during the stream yesterday, Lindell goes off on a tear at specifically three Daily Beast reporters. In our, he takes respect. I even consider him, he's a big left winger, but at least he's a journalist. Right. At least he'll put down what I say. He respects that. These other cowards that work there, you guys are cowards. You're absolute cowards is what you are. Absolute cowards. That's three. Now let's keep total today. We're going to have totals here every day at Frank. Three terrible reporters for the Daily Beast. Aswin and, and Adam. Aswin and the other and guy, Anthony, Justin. Anthony, Justin Borgamon. Justin Borgamon. Then we had two earlier for the, was it the Insider? Or was Newsweek. Newsweek, Newsweek. Newsweek. So we got... Okay, so just to be clear, at the beginning of that clip, I, I think it may have clipped off my name, but he name checks me. And uh, thank you, Mike, for being complimentary and saying that I am an actual journalist. And even though he knows I'm a big left winger, that I listen to him. And yeah, you're going to be lording that over the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> whoa, 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 Mr. Pillow says wait a minute, I'm fantastic. Wait, a minute, wait, 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 wait. There's a plot <laughs> twist. There's a plot twist at the end of uh, this patting myself on the back. So he, he says, OK, he respects me that I that Swin actually listens to what he has to say and quotes him accurately. He's a fan of that. But then I think the same sentence or the very next sentence, he pivots to bashing Aswin Subsang, which is, of course, my full name. Swin's great, but I don't know about his brother. I'm not sure if he, like, had a momentary lapse or if he just was just scanning a name and didn't realize. But I, I, I'm almost certain from the game, because I've been talking to him for years, he knows that Aswin Subsang, the byline, is the Swin, who he has talked to on the phone. I need to call him for comment or stories or whatever. So there was this confusing moment while I was watching that. It's like, Swin and Aswin are not two different different people. You, 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 you can't think what. So uh, at, at one point in the part I'm talking about, he starts talking about Adam Ronsley, Aswin Subsang, and Justin Barragona. And as you heard on the clip, I don't think they ever get Barragona's last name right. Justin Bergognone. Right. Uh, Justin Beef Bolognese. And they start ragging on us as cowards because we're not covering Mike Lindell's My Pillow has just this week sued or countersued uh, Dominion voting systems for, as they allege, attacks on free speech in America. Uh, the weird thing is, I think one of the two stories that he was upset at the Daily Beast for, I'm not sure if he read the whole thing because he was too busy streaming, but the headline is literally My Pillow CEO recruits First Amendment heavy hitters to fight Dominion. And the point of the story we wrote, which is actually an interesting thing about Lindell's case here, is he's fighting back against uh, these voting tech giants who are coming after him for 2020 election lies, is that if you look at the legal teams formed by your Sidney Powells or people like that to fight back against it, it's other Trump 2020 dead-enders. It doesn't really look like a completely, shall we say, serious or formidable legal team. And that is a 
pervading thread in uh, the, this ongoing post-2020 election legal saga, or legal sagas, I should say. But with Lindell, he has Alan Dershowitz advising his legal team. He has this guy named Nathan Lewin, uh, who actually is a well-respected First Amendment veteran attorney, who's one of the guys fronting his uh, legal team who's handling the case. Uh, Nathan Lewin is a guy who actually was one of John Lennon's attorneys during uh, the Nixon era, when the Nixon administration was trying to uh, deport him from the United States. Um, he's someone who represented Jody Foster in the aftermath of John Hinckley's attempted assassination of President Ronald Reagan. Like, he actually has the money or has garnered enough attention with his case to get actual serious people, even if you don't agree with their legal arguments, that, okay, we're not here necessarily to argue that the election was actually stolen by Joe Biden or China or whatever, but there is a constitutional issue here at play that we think, if Dominion emerges victorious, could have reverberating consequences for political free speech in this country. Let me read something quickly from Alan Dershowitz, who gave us a preview of the Team Lindell's legal strategy as litigation progresses. Quote, our position is that Dominion is the government for purposes of the First Amendment. The government delegated to them the most important governmental function, mainly counting votes in a presidential election. And they are therefore subject to criticism in the exact same ways the government would be subject to criticism in that situation. And criticism of how the government conducted a presidential election is the highest bar protecting the First Amendment right to criticize such action, end quote. Will, what do you think about that uh, legal and free speech argument? I mean, look, I, I obviously don't have any legal training, but I don't, that seems a little thin to me. I think, um, <laughs> I don't know, it seems like a stretch, I think. But by the way, you know, I should add that, you know, in tells that these people were, it became a point of bragging on how much you were being sued by Dominion. And so someone would say, well, Sidney Powell's being sued for $4 billion by these companies. And Mike Lindell is being sued by two billion or what have you. So yeah, I mean, I, I think these guys are just really soaking up the attention until uh, until the time comes to pay the piper. Wait a minute, they would brag themselves on stage, or other people like their groupies would like have competing the, the, arguments. The MCs about- would be like, you know, who here has been sued for ten thousand dollars? You know, and people would raise their hands. And I mean, it, it was it, who's been sued for ten million? And of course, some guy was like, I have. And they were like, Well, I bet you've never been sued for a billion. Our next guest has, and everyone's like, Wow. <laughs> That is amazing. (laughs) That is fantastic. Oh, my God. They got to wear them like badges of honor at this point. (laughs) Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This week, Fever Dreams welcomes Sarah Kenigsberg a veteran video producer for 2020 Democratic presidential campaigns. Prior to her foray into marshalling the online forces of Memes for Bernie or Montages for Biden, Sarah worked as a digital and media producer at news organizations such as HuffPost. Around the time of the 2016 election, Sarah dove back into the advocacy world, where she then helped the progressive group Move On set up their video team. Then, in the heat of the 2020 Democratic primary, Sarah was brought on to Bernie Sanders' campaign as a supervising producer. Then, after the self-proclaimed Democratic Socialist candidate dropped out, she hopped aboard the ultimately victorious Biden team, again as a producer. You can follow Sarah on Twitter at S. Kenigsberg. Sarah, welcome to Fever Dreams. So glad to be here. Thanks for having me, Swen. Thank you for being on. The first thing I want to ask you about was I want to get your account because, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm not sure I've seen you talk about this that much publicly, but you were actually directly involved and at the center of one of my absolute favorite, and I don't say favorite in a good way, uh, subplots of the Trump-Biden race in 2020. Because there was a brief moment where Team Trump and large chunks of conservative media and the official Republican Party descended upon you, Sarah Kenigsberg, who, let's be honest, the vast, vast, vast majority of Americans have never heard of in politics before, and made you a subject of their two minutes hate and really trained a good 
deal of official campaign resources on calling you out over pigs, yoga, piglets, and cops. It was a really bizarre episode that I found morbidly fascinating at the time. And could you please take our listeners through a brief history of what actually happened and what led up to it? Yeah, I'd be happy to. And actually, you guys uh, on this podcast are getting the exclusive because I've, yeah, I've never talked about it uh, publicly. All right. <laughs> In your face, Pod Save America. <laughs> yeah, at the time, I was told to just like, yeah, when you get those right ring attacks better sometimes or if anyone's trolling you to sort of let it die over. But yeah, I really did want to speak about it at the time because it was so ridiculous and so hilarious. And and this was in June or July 2020. It was during the summer. So it was the second week of July 2020. So I joined the Biden campaign July 1st was my first official day. And I think it was like, you know, less than two weeks later, really, that this all came out. So it was really just at the start of, of joining the Biden campaign. Pain and I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> uh, but it was so funny that no one actually cared on the campaign. But yeah, so I think it was, I mean, you know, George Floyd was murdered May 25th, I believe, uh, 2020. And so on June 1st, you know, by that time, obviously, you know, it was once again, Black Lives Matter protests. And I was out you know, protesting in DC. And I tweeted a meme. I, I mean, all of my friends know me as someone who loves pigs. I have uh, been vegan for, I think, almost six years now. And pigs are my absolute favorite animals. And I think <laughs> uh, just like I fight for other marginalized groups of people, pigs are an animal that I think are, are really discriminated against. They're really highly inte- intelligent. They're just you know, the same as, as dogs, basically, but we choose. Do you to have them. a pet pig? I don't, but I, maybe someday, but yeah, it was just, I, I have hung out with pigs. Yeah. I, I have, uh, I go to this animal sanctuary in Maryland all the time. And I actually was part of helping rescue a pig that fell off a factory farm truck in 2016. And I documented, uh, photos of it for Getty Images. Uh, and that pig I, I visit, its name is Wee Wee and it's still <laughs> lives at that um, sanctuary. So yeah, I mean, my love of pigs is, I feel like, well-known amongst my friends. I'm vegan. I Yes, I did a yoga class with pigs. For example, I, I led in, Excellent. <laughs> in, in 2018. And uh, so I, you know, I tweeted this really innocent meme on, I think it was June 1st. So it was a couple of days, uh, you know, into these mass protests that said, literally don't, it was it wasn't even my words. It was a meme that I saw on social media from probably like a pig account or something that I follow or like a vegan account. And it was, please stop calling cops pigs. Pigs are highly intelligent and empathetic animals who would never racially profile you. And then it was, <laughs> and then it was a picture. It was a little drawing of a, of a little pig with two red hearts and the graphic was pink. It was really cute. And I actually got a lot of love on it. I think I had like, you know, almost 400 likes or something like. <laughs> Clearly you've never read Animal Farm where I think pigs are going around persecuting everybody, but go on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that's because they, that's, they've been made out to be these evil creatures when they're not. So that's, you know, the, some book portraying them as a. That was a fictional story, Swen. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Shit. So yeah, I mean, it's literally sharing a meme that's saying, stop calling cops pigs. And it doesn't actually say it's not that pigs aren't, you know, or it's not that cops aren't uh, intelligent or anything. It's just stop making that correlation. It's the same thing where tr- if, when Trump, what people call Trump a pig, I'm like, stop calling him a pig. First, that's like, <laughs> and the same thing when I, I would stand up with people said, oh, Trump's mentally ill or something. It's like that's stigmatizing people that are diagnosed with mental illnesses, like stop correlating, making these correlations. And so I think that's totally fair. So I, I it was not, I in no way <laughs> called, uh, co- co- you know, the cops pigs. It was quite the opposite. I tweeted that among other things during these protests, you know, forgot about it, whatever. Obviously, I worked for Bernie Sanders during the primary. So, you know, I, and I knew you know, Biden campaign hiring me, like they knew I was someone that had, was coming from Bernie world and was definitely, 
you know, very progressive and is not going to apologize for that. And okay, so flash forward to your working on Team Biden, the summer comes around and then suddenly I'm assuming you get a request for comment from Fox News. Is that correct? So, yes. So basically, I, you know, joined on July 1st, joined the Biden campaign on July 1st. And then I guess about like, you know, a week, two weeks later, whatever it was, I got a DM from the reporter, the Fox News reporter that ended up writing about it, Greg Wee. And he just sent me like a DM because I actually have open Twitter DM. So that's how he was able to send it to me. So he sent a DM that was like, hey, Sarah, I'm writing a article about you and your, um, you know, your tweets about pigs or something like, do you care to comment? And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, what is he talking about? And so I think I sent it to someone on the campaign that was like, uh, and they were like, just don't respond. And I'm like, and I'm trying to rack my brain on what other pig tweets, like what he's even talking about. And or, yeah, actually, I could probably pull up the um, DM, but it was something like so funny that I, and I, so anyway, he sent this DM for comment. I didn't respond. And then the article came out. Uh, let me read for our listeners. Okay, I have the foxnews.com article front of me right now. It was published July 17th. Headline, Biden campaign staffer mocked cops as worse than pigs called for defunding police. Subhead, the Biden team isn't disavowing Sarah Pearl's since deleted posts. And uh, this is a subplot into what we're talking about. But the Fox News article couldn't even get your name right for the entirety of the article, as as I recall when I first read it, because Sarah Kenigsberg, that is literally in your Twitter handle. But for some reason, you put Sarah Pearl just as like the main name above it. So in terms of like the standards at Fox, they didn't even bother to check what your actual name was. And they were calling out this person named Sarah Pearl who worked for the Biden campaign, which is technically not your last name. Oh, yeah. So funny. And actually, it was blessing because you know thank god because they didn't print my last name because actually i felt i'm bad. looking at the screenshots article. they have in the article it says kenigsburg right there and they couldn't fucking figure that out <laughs> the whole time they were like pearl said i'm like they literally think pearl is my last name but which is says so much about fox news that they can't even get that right and they actually i remember seeing a tweet thread that it was like you know this terrible sarah pearl like who is she and then someone had pulled up i guess googled like sarah pearl and they found some other woman that whose last name was really pearl and people were like dragging her. <laughs> and I felt so bad because I'm like, you know, this poor person was brought into it. But yeah, it was pretty hilarious that they couldn't even get that right. But I'm, I'm glad, for example, I mean, this ended up on like Fox News you know, on, on TV as well. And the Trump campaign blasted it out in three different campaign emails. So I'm super thankful that my last name was not uh, tied to it because I already got like a lot of hate through social media and I had to lock down my accounts that I, you know, it could have been even worse with uh, my actual last name on it. Okay, so this comes out, it has the pig content in it. And to pad out the B copy, Fox News gets into your yoga class with pigs. Basically, all the stuff that's with your social media account and your love of pigs and your and you hashtagging defund police stuff like that so they're obviously trying to tie this to uh biden at the time when even though biden was saying i'm obviously not pro hashtag defund the police they're trying to make it seem as much as possible that the democratic nominee in 2020 is anti-cop or whatever yeah the thing that so i found the tweet that he sent me he said sarah greg at fox here we are seeking comments concerning some of your tweets saying pigs is too nice a term to describe cops can you explain your view a little more there are several tweets by you and retweets to this effect we are planning on covering covering shortly and so in the article the other tweets that they included were Pearl has published several other pro-pig tweets. Last July, for example, she wrote that President Tr- calling President Trump a pig was an insult to pigs, and that in December 2018, she tweeted, all I want in life is a dog and a pig. Oh, damning. Pearl also posted photographs of a yoga course she taught with pigs and boasted that she had purchased a book about exploring the extraordinary potential of pigs. Awesome. I was like... Are you kidding me? So hilarious. So what was it like to find yourself, you know, suddenly at the the center of this, uh, you know, this kind of like hate storm online? I actually 
uh, it was very eye-opening in the sense of, right, this article came out, let's say, I guess it probably has the time on here, but, you know, let's say it came out in the afternoon, like 1 p.m. or something. Within, like, two hours, you know, Don Jr. had tweeted about it. it the camp- Trump campaign had blasted it to, you know, on their listserv. Like, it was, like, clearly they were all, like, in bed with this. Like, And it was such a manufactured thing that they're trying to claim that basically I was... John Don Jr. tweeted, uh, you know, you don't want this coming to your backyard or something to that effect, as if like this, uh, you know, I think I sense when the, the tweet, it was something like, you know, these terrible activists are taking over the Democratic Party, the Biden campaign even hired one of them, and you don't want this coming to your backyard. So it was just seems like a manufactured, absurd controversy. And yeah, and, and, and some of the, you know, people found me, I, I got all these like messages where they looked me up and found me on LinkedIn. And I, because even if my last name wasn't attached with it, you know, they could still find me. I had Biden campaign on my LinkedIn. And I got messages on there and other places that were like, how dare you call cops pigs? And I'm like, I literally did never, <laughs> that's exactly the opposite of what that piece of content was. People were outraged about something that wasn't, again, how dare you call cops pigs when that's exactly what the meme was not. So it was just funny. Uh, I'm looking at the meme right now. It's a cute little pig with a couple of little hearts next to it. Okay. So as you pointed out, this was something that after the foxnews.com story dropped, it was something that the Trump campaign actually devoted resources to, to going after you. I remember this at the time. You could follow them on social media or their official statements where they were really training the Team Trump messaging apparatus on the head of Sarah Kennigsburg. And this was at a time where there was the mass protests and the rioting going on. The coronavirus was ravaging the country. The economic implosion was still going on. It was the heat of the 20. 20- 20 general election. And I got to tell you, when I saw this story, I remember a bell going off in my head thinking to myself, okay, at the time I was kind of predicting that Trump was going to somehow win or pull it off. But I did think to myself that at this point in time where the stakes are so fucking high, the fact that they are expending this much energy on this, is the barrel that empty? Are they scraping that far bottom on the barrel, this reeked to me as a campaign that was losing and thought it was in trouble, that this is what they were resorting to. Because I'm sorry, you were just some random mid-level Biden staffer. Totally, totally. I mean, it was really hilarious. I mean, they released an official statement basically against my hiring. (laughs) Absurd. Like, I was like, this is so pathetic. They literally have nothing to attack on. So they're trying to tie in some way, you know, something. It was very reaching and made that So uh, you started to touch on this earlier. How many days or how long did the torrent of online trolling or maybe even violent or death threats against you? How how long did that last in terms of stemming out from uh, what started out as the Fox News article? I probably kind of went back online with like, um, I I think I turned private some of my accounts for probably like almost a week, to be honest, because the Trump campaign sent out that first email on that day. And then they sent out two more in the next few days, citing that article again and bringing me up again. Yeah, I think, you know, within the week, it is sort of like, you know, but actually, when I started tweeting again, I would I would get like lots of replies about that story still. And eventually it died away. But it was definitely a couple of days. We can cut this in, but you mentioned death threats earlier. Can you get into how serious that was or how much you got? What that experience was like? Yeah, it just it's stupid, right? It's like why over something really dumb. I deleted most. I mean, I, I think I sent you one message that I found that I still hadn't deleted. But for example, on my Facebook, I mean, I ended up, I think, taking it offline for a couple of days because pub, any public photo that I had, like someone found people found my Facebook and started like replying in comments to all of my photos, just saying ridiculous and hateful things to me. So yeah, just like any social platform that I had was just getting really horrible comments and um, some, right, that were like, oh, kill yourself or, I mean, so, oh, the fun, one that, um, you know, people were like, oh, you, you look like a pig. And I was like, great. You know, I, I love pigs. So that's a compliment. Thank you. <laughs> um, you know, again, like, I appreciate what you said about, you know, this was a time during 
you know, it was just such a ridiculous controversy when so many other important things were happening in the world. And instead of making it, it was really pathetic on the part of the Trump campaign to instead of, you know, to devote resources and to making a statement and, and about this instead of actually really important things that were happening. Now that the Joe Biden presidency has been well underway, there was a number of weeks ago where we broke the news at the Daily Beast where a significant number of Biden White House staffers had either had their uh, jobs that they had already taken or accepted during the uh, Trump to Biden presidential transition rescinded or they were uh, put in the penalty box and in different tranches of punishment for doing something that, as we were told by multiple people, the Biden transition brass had told them, look, we want to run things differently with the Biden West Wing or the Biden White House. If you answer honestly on your uh, background check for this job that you have had past marijuana use, it will not pose the same problem for you that it would in another administration where that could immediately get you the boot or the preemptive boot. So a bunch of these different incoming staff answered these questions honestly. And it's like, yes, uh, I, I have smoked pot, including in states where or areas where it has been legal to do so uh, recreationally for however long. This led to a bunch of staff and some now former staff being infuriated by the Biden White House doing what they saw as essentially going back on their word and punishing them or giving them the boot for something that they were told to answer honestly and that they were assured would not be a problem. So you as a former Biden official during the campaign, what was your reaction when you saw that news? And uh, do, do you have any comment on it as someone who served Joe Biden for a number of months? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I was definitely disappointed. I actually knew about it before you guys. <laughs> I mean, great reporting on that. But yeah, I uh, some people within the administration had, had told me that that had happened. And uh, yeah, I was disappointed because... It just seems right where we're, it's 2021, you know, in DC, marijuana is legal. People moved from different places to come, to come here from other states where weed is legal. And yes, it's not legal on a federal level yet, but it should be, you know, what is like the penalty part of it? I just don't understand. Like, so someone can't now come to, you know, the, the white house or, or be on campus there and for a number of months, like, what does that really do? So you're, you're sort of like slapping them on the wrist to say, oh, you know, you smoked weed twice before in the past year and now you can't come in in person it's like more hurting the government then and hurting the productivity that you know this administration can do if if you're you know these people can't do their jobs in, in the best way or or they were fired and uh yeah it just it's disappointing and it also i think has affected more right younger people or people of color or it just yeah I, I, it was disappointing so have you heard from anybody in, internally in the Biden administration about if staff or senior staff is doing anything to actually rectify this or change policy? Because Yeah, I'm not sure, to be honest. I think from what I've heard, like a lot of it's like people maybe didn't even talk about it, for example. I think some people sort of just, you know, got booted out and no one had kind of acknowledged what happened. Sarah, thank you so much for your time and thank you so much for coming on Fever Dreams. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It was wonderful talking with you guys. And now we bring you to our treasured end segment, Fresh Hell, where we introduce our audience to something that they will likely be astonished by in the real world. Will, tell us a little bit about the growing Republican January 6th denialism that you have been tracking lately. Sure. So, I mean, this is something that we've been, you know, kind of dealing with almost since since the insurrection happened. But uh, but I, I think it's getting to the point where we kind of need to start grappling with this as a concept and something that, that is kind of gaining steam. Um, and that is the, the growing movement on the right to basically either pretend that January 6th didn't happen or that Antifa did it or what have you. Um, and, and, you know, there's a couple data points here. And then, then I want to talk about um, sort of a, a personal experience I had with this. Um, you know, the, the there was a poll recently that found that you know 55% of Republicans say that left-wing agitators started the insurrection. I mean, so a lot of people, right? The Washington Post uh, reported that basically the, the talks about a January 6th investigation are breaking down in part because uh, Republicans are, are unwilling to go against their base and acknowledge that Trump supporters were involved in this. Um, and then, you know, it struck me that it's, when I was in Tulsa, I had this experience where... Uh, 
Patrick Byrne, the former CEO of Overstock.com, who's this kind of a, I guess, like kind of a B-tier Sidney Powell type. He was um, in, in terms of the White House with then-President Trump egging the then-president on to try to subvert democracy in America. Like, he was an actual f- figure in a subplot of that months-long anti-democratic saga. That's right. His kind of claim to fame in this whole thing is he got in like this insane argument with the White House staff and he was just like gobbling up hors d'oeuvres. And and it, 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 he was like, you know, he was like, Pat Cipollone, like you betrayed the president. And he both, both this is in multiple accounts that it's like pigs in a blanket or something. And he's just like snuffing his mouth. Meeple. And, and he's just like, we got to do this. You know, we got to we got to send to the National Guard. Right. Like it's a perfect little inca- microcosm of Trumpism where you're in the literal White House with the literal president and senior staff gobbling like Costco meatballs into your face while, while you're talking about why democracy needs to be canceled in this country. It's a yes. Which he, des- he describes in his memoir of the experience as the president's grandmother's meatball recipe, which strikes me as unlikely. Um, but anyway, so he's giving this speech. And, you know, this guy's not a Linwood. He's not a Sidney Powell or a Michael Flynn. He doesn't really have the crowd going. He's talking about a lot of, like, Greek philosophical concepts. But nevertheless, I mean, they should love him. And so he goes, you know, one thing we have to be on the lookout for are uh, agent provocateurs. And so uh, basically he's he's implying that the January 6th thing was carried out by Antifa or left-wing agitators. Uh, And he says, so if someone tells you to do something like January 6th, uh, you know, whatever you think of it, it wasn't exactly optical for us. So I would say, you know, don't do that in the future. (laughs) And then, so you might think, you might think pretty reasonable uh, to say maybe we shouldn't do another riot. And then everyone's just like, what the heck? You know, you can't say January 6th was bad. And all these people start heckling him and they're going like, Antifa did it. And like, we were set up and, you know, oh, you know, it was overblown and all this stuff. And so, you know, even this guy who is, you know, barely like, he's just so far to the right and just so, so like lost in in this whole rabbit hole. Um, He makes, I think, a pretty reasonable point with a lot of wiggle room for these people, which is they shouldn't do invade the Capitol again. And then they, I mean, they just completely turn on him. So, I mean, that's sort of a, I think gives you a, it gives you a sense of of where the right is in terms of its grappling with January sixth. Well, the orgiastic booing from the crowd at that point, you, you seem to suggest that it was divided into two camps of people saying that it was essentially a false flag versus those who actually don't want the valor stolen and are saying no, that was a patriotic act or something like that that you shouldn't be poo pooing. That's exactly right. I mean, yeah, I mean, it was half people who claimed they were set up and and half who were saying that it was, you know, a, you know, peace, a peaceful, you know, people were just milling in and out. And so, I mean, the either way, I mean, there really isn't this, uh, I think, maybe what we expected on January 7th, perhaps, which would be sort of a uh, a taking of accounts and some introspection uh, is very much uh, not on the menu. On that note, let's wrap up this episode of Fever Dreams from The Daily Beast. In future installments, we'll also be speaking to some awesome reporters and other colleagues at The Daily Beast and beyond from politics, popular culture, and other overfed, underdeveloped institutions. We hope you'll subscribe to us on your preferred podcasting app and share the show on social media or at your family dinner table. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Will Summer and Swin is at Swin24. Come say hello. This podcast is produced by Jesse Cannon with music by Brian Demiglio. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.